We are really in a study through the book of Acts, but as, if, as we've hit this community in Corinth, we're pausing and getting to know the Corinthians and Paul's relationship with the Corinthians. So we're in 2 Corinthians now, and it's, it's, it's always hard for me to wrap my mind around exactly what's going on in this broken relationship between the Apostle Paul as the Lord sent him into this community, he shared the gospel with this community. You have those who have rejected the gospel and those who have received the gospel. Those who have received the gospel in this community, over time, they've developed tension with the man who brought them the name of Jesus in the first place. So there's different ideas to why. I'm sure that there's different depths into that. But the, the overall picture that we get is that the Corinthians, they didn't like what Paul looked like. They didn't like what he sounded like. Um, they didn't like what his life looked like and all of his sufferings and persecutions. So it seems like Paul uh, descended in, in their eyes as other teachers of the Lord were ascending in their eyes. Well, this is the kind of man that I like. This is the kind of teaching I like. This is the kind of wealth I like. That seems to be the tension. And over time, Paul's had to come back to this community and there was some painful visit. He sent a letter in regard, in a, in a painful letter. So as he's sending this letter, Titus has come to him and brought him news of how they responded to his painful visit and to his painful letter, and a whole bunch of the churches repented. They responded to Paul's, his arguments, his heart. They responded to him favorably, but they're still in this community, that pocket that's, they got issues with this Paul. So, as we sit in this, we can sit on it on either side. We all interact in relationships in our daily life, and in some of those relationships, we are right before God and the people that we are interacting with. There's, there's something that's off. And they need to be re reconciled. They need to examine themselves before God. And that's the exhortation that Paul is giving to the Corinthians. At the same time, we're in, in relationships where we're the one that's off. And the person that's trying to address us, they're in right standing before God. So we can sit in this subject matter on both sides. We're going to jump right into the middle of the context of where we ended last week. I'll back up and give a little bit of brief introduction um, after we read through the text that we're going to cover this morning. So picking it up in chapter 5, we're going to read down through chapter 6, verse 13. So here, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, which is like taking down a tent demolishing a building. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked, not be found without a body, without a home. For we who are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. That is a big amen, because the rest of this world that we experience, life is being swallowed up by death. But in Jesus, exact opposite. Now he who is prepared, he was worked this out who's prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we 
are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust we are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf. That you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance, who boast in face and not in heart. For if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, according to the world's standards. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then... We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Awesome. Chapter 6. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain, in emptiness, in futility. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable, accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry might not be blamed. But in all things, we, can, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. He's going to go through a list here, the in. He's going to go through a bunch of negatives in regards to being a minister of God. In much 
patience. Is it hard to be patient? In tribulations, those, those pressures, those things we feel are, are crushing us. In needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. These things are all description. As a minister of God, here's, here's a list of difficulties. And now he lists a variety of positive characteristics by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by the power of God. Oops, I skipped a line. By long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report. Ministers of God as deceivers and yet true. You know, again, a lot of the accusations, you guys are telling lies. No, we are speaking the truth as unknown. You don't know my heart. You don't know my life. You don't know what Jesus is doing in me. Yet, we're well known as dying, crucified with Christ. But behold, we live. As chastened, God disciplines all of us, yet not killed. God doesn't strike us down. As sorrowful, so many things in this life that well us up with tears and sorrow. Yet... We're always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Now this, you know, we're six chapters in, and here, here Paul is really just laying out his heart. Oh, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. But you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open. So this is what I've titled this morning's message of having an open heart. Last week, we, I titled it Lost Heart with a Question Mark because the exhortation there in chapter 4 is we have this ministry, this incredible ministry, this, uh, the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of the new covenant. He's, he's in, in his communication to the Corinthians, he continues to point at their heart that in the New Testament that it provides the power for God to remove out of us these hard hearts of stone, these stubborn, rebellious hearts that want our own thing. And in place, in through Jesus Christ, he places into us a heart of flesh on which he writes the word of God. And the encouragement is we're not to lose heart. When we remember who Jesus is, when we have our minds set on him in the life circumstances that we all go through, 
directing our attention back to the Lord. That wells up courage within us so that we don't lose heart. When we lose heart, we talked about last week, this is where a lot of trouble comes in because we kind of throw in the towel. We get discouraged. We get afraid. We turn away from the Lord and turn to our own solutions for the problems that we're facing. When we lose heart, when we lose courage in Jesus, all kinds of destruction happens to all different degrees. The encouragement is not to lose heart. And again, getting to the, the overarching point that Paul is trying to drive home to this congregation that he is going to soon visit is one, you need to be reconciled with God. There's something that's off, and he's declaring a lot of what is off. There's something going on where you are out of step with God, and we're going to talk about reconciliation this morning. You need to be reconciled with God. We, as brothers and sisters, we're to have open hearts to one another. We're going to give definition to what it means to have an open heart. Because when we confess, we have all these restricted areas in our hearts. We have restricted areas in our hearts with strangers. We have restricted areas in our hearts with our family, with our spouses. Don't touch that. You're not allowed to enter through that door. We have restricted hearts in our relationship with God. He knows what's behind that locked door. He's knocking on that locked door. He wants to deal with what's behind that locked door. But often we are going to have these very closed hearts, and this is restricted access. Nobody is allowed beyond this point, not even the Lord. And here Paul is encouraging, you need to examine yourselves. Examine yourselves in the light of who God is. Continually through this letter and all the different problems, what does Paul do? He takes it back to Jesus every single time. Every single point that he brings up of, of whether it's discontent or, you know, whatever the issue may be, he immediately points back to Jesus. And everything that I just read through this morning, what, like, what would you want to talk about? There was, there's a lot that we could, we could do 10 weeks just in that chapter alone and in information. But we're going to drill down to what I think is, you know, the central focus of what Paul's trying to communicate, trusting that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you individually in your context. But as he steps into chapter 5, in chapter 4, as we're not to lose heart, he's talking about the, just our frail bodies that are breaking down, all of our weaknesses. We, we have received this incredible treasure God himself dwells in us in these earthen vessels, these pots of clay that are wearing away. They're not permanent. They're, they're deteriorating. And then he steps into the permanence of what has been promised in the future. That yes, this earthly house, it's being destroyed for every single person. We're going to either pass over that line from life into death physically he gives this description that even if we die physically, we go to be present with the Lord. But we have this further clothing, this eternal habitation. So again, in this information, we are to well up with courage and, and abide in the reality of what is true, what is real versus what we feel, um, what others communicate to us. All of us were groaning to see Jesus face to face. 
We're groaning to be out of these bodies that are deteriorating as we age and things hurt and those kinds of things. We groan even more. But it's not that we want to be without a home or without a habitation. We want our lives to be swallowed up with the life of Jesus. And again, he's saying that we have been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. This is, this is finance language. We're going to step into some business ideas as we talk about reconciliation this morning. But the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a promise. Our God dwells in us now. He is there as our helper. That word helper, the Holy Spirit, our God, is the one who comes alongside of us in our life and in our circumstance to help, to speak, to teach that still small voice, he is talking to us every single day. Lord, I don't know what to do. He gives you his wisdom in his mind. Lord, I don't understand the word. He teaches and encourages. And it takes a lot of time. Sometimes it's a short season. Sometimes it's a long season. But here we have the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a promise that God is going to fulfill that future glory of being fully transformed into his image when Jesus comes back. And we're always confident of these things. But in this life, how do we walk? By faith and not by sight. How many of you know that line? How many of you have lived the line of walking by faith and not by sight? Anybody? So in my immaturity, I always thought, you know, um, not my immaturity, just my life experience, walking with the Lord. Um, until the Lord put me into a position where our, our transition out of Salt Lake before we landed here was a season in life where this, this passage was an anchor for me in the reality that I'm walking by what? By confidence in the Lord, by trust in the Lord, by hope in the Lord, as we're talking about the subject matter of having an open heart. If I do not have an open heart towards God, that means that I don't trust God. And if I don't trust God, that means I don't believe God. I don't hope in him. I'm not confident in him. I don't think that he loves me. I don't think that he cares for me. I don't think that he sees me. I don't think that he's going to provide. I don't think he's going to hear my prayer. Those, those emotions are what keep my heart locked up from God. I need to fix my own problems. Um, you know, we're, we're, we all, we're trying to save ourselves and those kinds of things. And the contrast is having an open heart towards God God, I'm naked and exposed before you. I know that you are the God who sees. You, you see me. Everything about me you see. You are the God who hears. You hear the thoughts of my mind. You hear the words that come out of my mouth. You care. You attend to me. If I am walking by faith, I'm walking with God in a way where my life is fully exposed to you, Lord. I'm open to you. You are worthy of my trust. And again, in that season in my life, I felt this is the, the picture that I had, and I have all this written in my journal at this time. I felt like I was in the middle of an ocean, not a tempestuous ocean, but a calm ocean where vast body of water, totally still, no current. I couldn't perceive the current. When I looked at my eyes and I'm looking around at me, all I see is dense fog. I couldn't see beyond the bow of the boat. I don't know what direction I'm heading. Is this north? Is this south? Is this east? Is this west? I had no motor, no oar, no sail. I had no means of propelling myself in any direction. Sitting 
in the midst of all of this unknownness, waiting for the Lord to put me on the shore of his determination, not knowing how long that was going to be, not knowing how short that that was going to be. This is what I mean by how many of you have walked by faith and not by sight, where you're sitting in the circumstance of, God, I need you now, act. But you have no means of saving yourself, delivering yourself. And if you move in this direction, you're probably going to bring about destruction because that's not what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to be still. Know that he is God. Wait upon him. Trust him. Have an open heart towards him. Now, I use that as a life experience because that was the first time for me where it was, I was really crying this out to God, really understanding that I am truly walking by faith and not by sight and my understanding and my wisdom and what others are communicating to me. And then as time has gone on, I've realized, you know what, this is my daily experience with God. I don't have a clue what the next hour holds. Oh, I have my understanding. I have my interpretations. I have the wisdom that the Lord has given to me. We make plans for the future. We make these plans in prayer. But what does God do? Leads us according to his will and his time. I have no idea what's coming across my path this afternoon. But Lord, my heart is open to you. I trust you. And regardless, as he's, Paul sits there and talks about all, these, all the, the pressures that come in, uh, all the glorious characteristics that come in from him, all the different attitudes that people have about us, as, as we serve God, the exhortation, continue or begin to, Lord, come in. We're told in Revelation, he's standing at the door knocking, right? Lord, come in. Every single one of us has an area in our heart, in our life, where we look at God and say, that area is restricted to you. Don't touch that. I don't want to follow your instruction there. I'm okay. I don't want to deal with this. It's, it's fine. Just leave it alone, Lord. We all know what that's like to hide, you know, when we feel convicted or confronted. And the exhortation throughout the word of God is he is worthy of your trust. Walk with him. Walk out your journey by faith, with an open heart, with confidence, with trust. He has given us his word where we can go Genesis to Revelation and see what he has done in history and be astonished at what he has done in the lives of others. We can sit in this room and we can go person by person and let you give testimony to what God has already done historically for you. And that will well up faith in all of us because he demonstrates himself to be unchanging. The God that created the heavens and the earth is the God who called Abraham, is the God who sent his son Jesus, is the God of Paul, is the God of us today, and he's consistent and it's awesome, awesome. So because we're walking out this life of faith in Jesus Christ, in him and trust him. What's our aim? What's our goal? What's your ambition? What are you aspiring for? This, is, this becomes really challenging. In our culture, we can, you can aim at anything you want. You can aim at any job, any profession, where you want to live. You know, again, you, you, we have aspirations, and those are all good things in the Lord, but apart from the, the Lord, they can be really damaging. Paul is talking about his own testimony of what his aim is as he's 
brought the gospel to this community, as he's been away from this community, as he's writing this letter, my aim is to be found well-pleasing by him and to be well-pleasing in him. So not only does he dwell in us, we are told that we are now in Christ. We are in him. So our goal, our target in every conversation, whether you're doing the dishes or whether you're standing up here, or, I mean, whatever the activity is, the aim is to be found well-pleasing in him. And then he brings up the reality. Why? Because God's a judge. Comfortable, uncomfortable. Are you comfortable with the fact that God says, that is right, that is wrong? Are you comfortable with that? A lot of people, it's, it's really uncomfortable. We live in a culture that says, God must accept me. And not only when we talk about God as judge, he doesn't say, this is right and this is wrong. He says, I reject you. I accept you. Comfortable or uncomfortable? That just got a lot more uncomfortable. God, as a perfect, holy judge, we are told that he has rejected, said no to, you may not be like me because of your sin. God has rejected all of humanity. And then he points us to his son and says, this is how I will accept you. And this is the only way I will accept you. By faith in what he has done. So this gets to the proclamation where he turns to this, the gospel of reconciliation. What is it that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ? So we were talking this morning. So John's up there with the worship lyrics. The worship team's down here with their worship lyrics. So as they've rehearsed this week, as they've prepared, they've submitted those lyrics to the sound booth up there, and their responsibility is to make sure that the lyrics that are up on this wall are the same lyrics that the worship team is singing, right? So what's real down here on the stage, what the worship team is singing, needs to be reflected by image by what's on the wall. Now, does that happen? No, and it's totally frustrating. So you all know what it's like to reconcile a bank account, just a simple bank account. You have your sources of income. You have money that comes in, deposited, deposits that are made into your account, and you have expenses, uses, how you spend your money in all the different ways. And if you're responsible, sons, don't bounce checks. He swipes his debit card and he gets declined because he doesn't know how much cash is in there. So if you're responsible, you go through this reconciliation process. The bank is real. This is what really happened. This is the money that came into your account, and this is the money that went out of your account. And if you're doing it by hand or you're using a computer software, you are making what is real match a record-keeping system so that at that snapshot, at that point in time, the two are in agreement. The balance of the bank on this date is the balance of my software on that date. Now, this is what I sit in every single day. So I'm an accountant. I work at the National Christian Foundation. I do reconciliations all day long, every day. 
So some are really simple, just cash accounts. You start getting into more complexity where you're dealing with the brokerage. All of a sudden, the investments become a lot more complicated. Out of a brokerage account, you can do all kinds of crazy investments where you're depending upon outside people to provide reports to the brokerage. You're dealing with a human being at the brokerage and hoping that they enter things correctly. And then I need to take that statement and say, hey, this is what is real. This is what's been reported to me. And I need to make our accounting software equal that. And not only that, the entities get a lot more complicated because you, you can have all these crazy investments and, and other businesses and every single one of those outside investments, there's a reconciliation process associated with it. For my department, I'm sitting in not just one business, but I'm sitting in multiple businesses. And all those reconciliations have to roll up into our company's reconciliation where they're reconciling all these other accounts. And for, you know, this is, this is a multi-billion dollar ministry, B, you know, billion with a B. Lots to reconcile and to line up so that this is what's real. Now we've made our software look like what's real at that snapshot to be able to provide these reports so that people can make decisions, right? So is everybody's eyes crossed right now? I hope so, because that's my goal. Because what I'm trying to communicate is think how hard, think how complicated, think how deep the ledger of your soul is. Human beings are not easy. We are extremely complicated. We want to label one another with very simple titles, and that, that helps us get a, a grip and a handle on one another, or different categories of life that we have to process through. When you sit in the complexity of a human life, how deep is your ledger of offness. God is the source of what is real and what is true. So in this reconciliation process, Jesus is held up, he is true, he is what is real. We are held up on the other side and we have all these deficiencies, all these entries that do not line up with Jesus. So this ministry of reconciliation, what God did in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, is billions upon billions of human souls, God went through the ledger of each one of their lives and reconciled them to Jesus on the cross. Humbled, loved, just, just sit in your own soul, sit in your own issues, sit in all of your, where you were unholy, where you don't look like Jesus, and know, know, and understand what it is your God has done for you in taking the image, the perfect image of who God is, who he created us to be like as he created male and female in the image of God, what we lost through sin. And on the cross, God the Father, God the Spirit, I'm sure is there too, and God the Son reconciling, making what is real and what is true creating that image in each one of us. Every single 
human soul. Billions. I mean, it's, it, this, is, this is the astonishing message of the gospel. Yet, we still have the choice to accept him or reject him. Fascinating, humbling, loving. As Paul brought up, you know, right before this section, it's, it's the love of Christ which compels us, which drives us forward in life. It's the love of Christ that causes me to aim at him. It's the love of Christ that, um, that you know, again, it's, Lord, I know I have these compartments, and it's his love that compels me. Lord, deal with that one. Lord, I hear you knocking on that. It's your love that is compelling me forward. It's your love that is driving me towards you. It's your love that I only understand this, this glimpse of it, Lord, but as you reveal further and further what it is that you have done, not just in creation, which we were talking about this morning, one of the guys brought up, that it's not only a miracle that God created the heavens and the earth, but it's a greater miracle in so many different ways that he has taken what is in absolute opposition to him in his creation and re-image that back to his desire and his will. I mean, this is, the, this is the power of the gospel. This is what Jesus Christ has done. Be reconciled to God. We implore you. So as ministers, we are to point one another to what it is that God has done in reconciling the word world to himself. This is the message that we are to preach and that we are to communicate. And again, remember, he's, he's speaking to Christians. We are imploring you on Jesus' behalf, in Jesus' name, that you be reconciled to God. Well, wait a minute. I thought God already reconciled us on the cross. Again, this is where our responsibility plays into it because we all drift. We all get our attention taken away from Jesus. And again, our As much as it has to do with us and our decision-making and how we process through our daily lives, we are to seek this constant reconciliation with God. This is what it says. Keep short accounts with God is the phrase that you will often hear. You know, when you're off, go to God in confession. We are told that he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So when we're off in something, going back to God to be reconciled to him. And again, it's that first as we are reconciled to him, then we can be pursue being reconciled with our relationships with other people. So again, as I look around the room, there's lots of marriages in here. Is it difficult being in a relationship with another human being to that level of intimacy? Your spouse has access to you in a way that no other human being does. Yet in that relationship between husband and wife, because we, we feel like, and sometimes it's real, we feel like we need to protect ourselves from being hurt, we, we close off, we restrict certain areas of our minds, of our hearts, and our lives from the one who we are told to be one with in this life. 
We do this with coworkers. We do this with strangers. We do this here in the church. Now, this isn't, as Paul is exhorting the Corinthians to have an open heart to him, he's not saying, like, I need to know every little detail and nuance of your life. Tell me all the dirty secrets. Tell me everything so that I can know everything about you. That's not what he's saying. He's given, this is who God is. This is who I am in God. I love you, and I'm asking you to respond to that love with an open heart. And this is where, as we talk about home fellowships, is it, is it a risky thing to let another human being into your life? Yes or no? Why? Because people are going to use you as a tool. People are going to use you to get what they want. That's the human heart. We can do this, again, we can do this in all of our relationships. I can do this with my spouse. You can do this with yours. That's where the vulnerability comes out. As we talk about having an open heart with the Lord, he is the one that we can ultimately trust with our soul because he is nothing but love. He is nothing but good. He doesn't seek our destruction. He is not trying to mow us down and kill us. He is creating his image in our life day by day through the sanctification process. In our relationship with other human beings, we demonstrate a lot more caution. And one of these things in, uh, that Paul is exposing and one of the realities is we interact with one another, Paul is the one that is exposing his heart first. Hey, this is who I am. No, I'm not the best speaker, but I love the Lord, and this is what the Lord has done with my life, and he's the one that sent you, me to you. I, I want nothing more than to be one who is following Jesus and pointing to Jesus and diffusing the, his fragrance to all. I want to be nothing more than a minister of God, regardless of what the circumstances look like, to go out there and preach this gospel of reconciliation of all that God has done through his son. So Paul is the one who opened his heart first. And sometimes, again, you know, you have to let the Spirit speak to you in the relationships that you have and where reconciliation is necessary somewhere. And often, we need to be the one that steps forward first and, you know, opens it a little way. There are some people that have demonstrated themselves to be absolutely untrustworthy with your heart. Be wise in that. You don't, you don't hand yourself to people who are going to abuse you, who are going to hurt you, who haven't demonstrated trustworthiness themselves. And again, you need the Spirit of God to, to apply these types of words in your life because God is not telling us to go and let everybody know everything about you and everybody have their hand into your life and those kinds of things. That's not what's being said. But what is being said is in fellowship with one another, in, in the body of Christ, as we talk about home fellowships, as we talk about just gathering here on a Sunday, um, it's very easy to walk in and out of a public environment with the public face where you talked before, there's, there's an appearance, but that appearance is different than what's going on in the heart. And that's what he's coming up against in those in Corinth. And Paul is saying, hey, my appearance on the outside is the exact same thing that's going on, on the inside. So in that integrity, in that relationship is what he is attempting to bring out. So in prayer with God, the exhortation is first, if you are off, with the being who has created you in every way, that you got to sit in that information of who he is and what it is that he's done. 
What is the nature and character of God? What is it that he has done through the cross, through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection? And in that need to be reconciled to him, there's, this, there's a confession process of, hey, Lord, this is what I have going on. This is where I'm being rebellious. This is where I'm off. This is what I have against this person over here. There's, there's, a, there's a, um, a reconciliation, that, that image of Christ that he is attempting to uh, place upon you and transform you into day by day. There's a process that we all have to engage. That's first. And then as we talk about, you know, having that open heart before God first, then second is how is God asking you to step out as a minister of Jesus Christ with the gospel of reconciliation, allowing your life to be open in a way that is reciprocal with other human beings? To open your life in a way where people are just going to take advantage of you, that is, that's against the heart of God. To open your life and your heart in a way where there's, there's mutual and reciprocal interactions, where the love of Christ is compelling you and the love of Christ is compelling me. I mean, this is where, you know, the openness and the vibrancy of the body of Christ comes out. And again, Paul's dealing with a situation where it's been doled by the flesh, it's been doled by the enemy, the world, and he's seeking to bring about the light of Christ, preaching it, and ultimately, only God is the one who brings that out. Well, worship team, come on up. We have a couple of songs to sing. One of those songs is Jesus Messiah, the song that we're going to sing up right here. As they're rehearsing, I don't know if they're going to sing the lyric, but one of the lyrics of the next psalm comes out of chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became sin. Jesus, you became sin. You knew no sin. That we might image and become fully your righteousness. What a gift. Father, we want to give you great thanks for taking our sin, our trespasses, all, the, all these things, all these actions, all these thoughts, all these all that I am outside of you. You dealt with all of that on the cross. Through faith in Jesus Christ, each one of us now images you. We groan, Lord, for that future day when we'll put off all that does not image you, this tent, and that you'll recreate a new heaven and a new earth. And you'll give us a body on which your name is written, on which we'll reflect your perfect image in every way for all eternity. What a promise. It's that knowledge, Lord, that your love, your, your overwhelming, sacrificial love, Lord, it compels us. You drive us to you. Thank you. 
Thank you for chasing us down. Thank you for confronting us. Thank you for dealing with our ledger that's out of balance. Thank you for giving us a new heart. Give us wisdom, Lord. Allow us, give us the power through your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Give us the ability to fully open our hearts to trust you, to have faith in you, to have confidence in you, to hope in you. And Lord, would you give us wisdom in our relationships with all other human beings? Show us those ones, Lord, where our hearts need to be open. Give us discernment, Lord, where we need to keep our hearts closed. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.